The Office of Management and Budget has spent the better part of this year acquiring and reviewing feedback from the public on a draft of what it calls a learning agenda. Now OMB has released an updated version of the learning agenda, and by mashing the president's management agenda with agency's own learning agendas, OMB says it hopes to solve some big problems. Here to help sort this all out, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And Drew, let me just begin by asking, in this latest missive from the Office of Management and Budget, it notes that agencies have already developed their own learning agendas. So is this like a mixture of all the agencies tied into one, or is it something new? So this learning agenda is something that is a little bit different or unique from the agency-specific learning agendas. This one is a first of its kind, actually, for the Office of Management and Budget, and it's focused specifically on how can they best implement or advance the priorities that are included in the president's management agenda? So that's the thing with three pillars, customer experience, a better federal workforce, and more efficiency in the government, basically. Yeah, that's exactly right, Tom. So those are the three pillars that they're really trying to address with this learning agenda. They also mentioned in the finalized version of it that they released that it would take into account a lot of the kind of, I guess, research questions and topics that involve the agency-specific learning agendas as well. All right. And let's back up just one more step. What exactly is a learning agenda and what is it supposed to do? Right. So it is, it's a bit of a buzzword, but it's become more popular lately. We saw, as we've talked about just briefly, the agency-specific learning agendas, and that was part of a requirement under the 2018 Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. So over the last couple of years, we've seen this become a lot more common. Basically, what a learning agenda does is outline some key questions and areas of research to focus on over a specific period of time and to achieve certain goals. So if you're looking specifically at the Office of Management and Budgets learning agenda here, they've broken down across the three categories of the president's management agenda, uh, several research questions through each one, and how are those are going to basically help agencies consider and think about ways to start and continue implementing the PMA overall. So, for example, if my agency is going to launch some new customer experience initiative, the learning agenda would tell me as the agency manager or the mission owner, I guess everybody, what do I need to know to be able to make sure that what I launch actually does help customer experience? Right. It's it's kind of a framework to think about when agencies are kind of putting forward new initiatives, programs, things like projects, things like that, that they're taking into account the PMA and how to include that in it as well. And you mentioned customer experience. One interesting thing there is that OMB in the learning agenda, they kind of broke down through each of the three pillars how many of the agency-specific learning agendas mention those three pillars. For the customer experience section, they said that about half of agencies talked or included customer experience-related questions in their individual learning agendas as well. So half did not, and they better get with the program, in other words. Right. But it is, um, you know, compared to the other two categories we also saw for strengthening the federal workforce, it was about half as well. So, of sure. course, they highlighted the Office of Personnel Management and a couple other agencies that talked about that. And then the most common one was this idea of advancing equity and just delivering equitable federal services. That was the most 
common of the three pillars that was mentioned in these individual learning agendas. Well, hopefully this will all work better than new math. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And where did OMB get its own information for its own learning agenda? So this is something that kind of we saw start at the end of 2021 when OMB released to the public just a request for information and feedback on its draft version of the learning agenda So they had that open for about a month and a half. And at the end of January of this year, 2022, they closed the opportunity for public comment and started kind of reviewing the feedback that they were getting that was coming from different, it was coming kind of from all over the place. So you have academics, state, local, tribal governments, and the private sector, and basically just taking their experience and their own uh, personal ways of doing things and seeing how their feedback can apply to the government's work here. So they shared a lot of, I guess, literature, reviews, articles, and offered revisions, offered new questions during that time. And OMB spent a lot of months just kind of going through all of that and creating this final learning agenda, which is technically not final because they've said that they're going to release an update of it in fiscal year 2023 as well. Just to be clear, even if all of the agency's own learning agendas did not mention the president's management agenda pillars, this one certainly does, correct? So what does it say about customer experience or advancing equity in the delivery of services? So if we're looking a little bit more specifically at, I guess, some of the questions or areas of research that they wanted to cover, for example, in customer experience, they were asking about if these government processes or public-facing government services, if they could be navigated equally between in-person versus virtual federal services. That's something we've seen a lot of talk about uh, recently. And then, for example, the strengthening and empowering the federal workforce category. They talked about ways to kind of improve the hiring process, how to make it more equitable, how to Once you have employees in the door, retain them, avoid burnout, uh, things of that nature. So there's a lot of management priorities from the Biden administration are pretty broad, but they kind of break it down in this learning agenda to think about ways that they can, on a smaller level, take into account some of those changes. All right. So now the learning agenda is out there, at least the latest draft or the more or less final. What should agencies do with it and what happens next with it? So agencies can kind of use this learning agenda combined with their own personal learning agendas as a jumping off point to kind of start or think about things either that are ongoing or new projects that they have. Next for OMB specifically, they are opening the floor up for more feedback. So as I said before, it's a final but not final learning agenda They want to hear again from the public to see like what other changes need to be made, just continuously refining this kind of working document for the president's management agenda. And this current learning agenda that just came out from OMB does have citations from the agency's own learning agendas. I see one from Small Business Administration, one from the Agriculture Department, Social Security. So it is a little bit of a blend in of what agencies have already done. So it should look slightly familiar, right, to agency managers? Yeah. So a lot of it is overlapping. For example, um, in the strengthening and empowering the federal workforce category, the OMB specifically highlighted an OPM question from their individual learning agenda, talking about strategies to effectively increase and maintain the capacity of the federal workforce. 
So there is a lot of overlap there for agencies to think about. Well, you've all got your weekend reading now when you download. It's only 22 pages. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. And check out her story all about this at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. After an exemplary career as a former executive at the FBI, focused on policy and strategy, Sasha O'Connell, Ph.D., is guiding future federal leaders as the executive-in-residence in the School of Public Affairs at American University. Sasha joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss her exciting career, the future of the federal workforce, and the lessons she's learned along the way. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Sasha O'Connell. Sasha is an executive in residence in the Department of Justice, Law, and Criminology at the School of Public Affairs at American University and spent the majority of her career at the FBI and most recently as the organization's chief policy advisor, science and technology and the Section Chief of Office and Policy for the FBI's Deputy Director. Sasha, welcome. Jane, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Can you give us an example of someone early in your career that motivated you, and then and, and how did what did that look like? Sure, absolutely. So it sounds almost cliche, but it was the dining room table. So I grew up um, with a stepfather who spent 30 years at the Veterans Administration at the VA, and he talked at the dinner table. He started as a social worker and then sort of rose up into management, administration, and leadership. And his stories, right, and his approach really, really impacted me. My mom, interestingly, ended up in a career in public service. She was a prosecutor. She's currently a retired state superior court judge. Um, But she had a big career change also in her 40s. She went back to law school in her 40s. So getting all of that in the mix at a young age at the dinner table really, really impacted me um, in really specific ways. Yeah, that's amazing. My my father was part of um, the generation that took um, President Kennedy's call to action. And he took that to heart, and he went and worked at the Department of Interior and a number of other places in federal service. So it's, it's catching when, when you're around it. You've held a number of leadership roles at the FBI, which is historically a male-dominated organization. What skills or traits helped you most as you navigated that? It's such a, it's an interesting and challenging yeah. sort of situation and question. One, I don't think I still am reflecting on. I've been out of the FBI about six years, and I'm sort of still thinking about it. I think the bottom line was when I was there, and I really grew up there. Um, I didn't, I didn't know any different. I grew up with male cousins and brothers, and you know, it was sort of a continuation of, of my existence. So it did, you know, in retrospect, it, it was a really unique situation, but it didn't necessarily feel that way for me at the time. I think staying mission-focused, staying not about me, staying flexible in terms of problem-solving all helped me. I will say there's resources today that weren't there when I was there, or certainly when I was starting out. There's a lot of affinity groups for women in national security, women in federal law enforcement. And I will say I think I would have really benefited from access to those kind of resources as I was coming up. Um, I had both incredible mentors, men and women, um, women across the organization who I became very close with, who were incredible supports, not just getting the job and starting out, but sort of matriculating through. But again, I'm really sort of proud of and involved in some of the work of those external organizations that bring women across government, um, executive women in government, and those kind of organizations together, because I think it is really, really helpful um, as one moves through. 
Yeah, we we actually work with a, a number of those too, and and go to their events and conferences and support them because it's important. How has your leadership style developed or changed over the years? Well, I think I've gotten a little more confident in it, right? The seeds were there at that dining room table. One thing um, that carried through that I learned from my stepdad was to focus on the process. He would talk at dinner about big ideas or big changes and how to get from here to there was part of his day job. So he thought about explicitly was getting other people on board, getting that stakeholder engagement, getting other people to think it was their idea if that was required. And that's something I started out with as a gift, right, that kind of approach. And then I got confidence in that, and then I added things. I will say, as I moved on, my appreciation for taking care of is maybe the wrong word, but really focusing on the people who work with you and for you in some instances, um, you know, making sure that they have what they need to be successful in a tactical way. But then also something I definitely learned at the FBI as I went along is, you know, the importance of creating an environment that is supportive and inspiring. You know, we joke about it, but food has played a pretty serious role um, in my leadership style over time. Um, I learned from great mentors. I worked with Bill Estevez at the FBI who had a full-scale cappuccino maker at his cubicle, right, and would host coffee hour. And you'd see the steam rising across the cubicles. Um, I worked with a, a great friend who used to carry hot frittatas for breakfast celebrations or on, the, on the metro, right, in one of those sort of coolie bags. Um, and so I've sort of, I think it's been additive in terms of learning, getting confidence in my approach, and then adding these pieces as I go that I've certainly learned from mentors and colleagues. And clearly you never let anything get in your way. You were mission-focused, as you mentioned, and you just got the job done no matter what was in front of you. Well, I wish, I wish, and it was, it was that easy. I mean, I think we had a lot of success. Um, one thing has always been my approach when starting out as a leader, too, is to solve near-term problems. I always say sort of deliver short, and then you can push them long, right? So we've, we don't always succeed in those long-term goals or those, you know, sort of blue-sky ideas as leaders we want to achieve, um, but we deliver on those short-term pieces, right? And you get that buy-in from the stakeholders. And then often you can push toward those bigger dreams, hopes, aspirations, and goals. Um, I would like to say I was 100% on both fronts. <laughs> I'm not sure your characterization is 100% accurate there, but I'll take it um, in, this, in this sense. Looking back, what, what's one piece of advice you might have given your younger self when you first started? Yeah, it's, it's interesting today, too, working with students, I get that chance, right, to give my, essentially, my younger self um, advice every day. And one thing we talk a lot about, and I wish I had thought more explicitly about, is really, it's about calibration, right? And so I always think Emeril Lagasse would say, like, a stove has dials for a reason, right? It's not like all hot or all cold. And I think it's the same here. In some ways, in my career, I had to learn to tone it down, right? And to, you know, certainly at the FBI, sometimes you need to take that backseat at a meeting and wait to be invited to the table. And that's really the appropriate way to build rapport, relationships, and trust. Other times, I needed to learn to tune it up, right, to up the volume a little bit. Um, I had a wonderful boss, Dave Schlendorf, who we were in a meeting together with big bosses at the FBI once, and I was working for Dave. And we left the meeting, and we were walking back to the office, and I made a point. I don't even remember what the point was now. And he stopped in the hall and said, why didn't you say that in the meeting? You're not helping me, right? Telling me this now, now I have to go back and fix this. And I re realized, so well, sometimes you have to tone it down, sometimes you have to tone it up, and that modulation, that sort of volume control about when to lean in and out, if you will, um, 
that's, you know, even just thinking about that explicitly for folks starting out, I think is really helpful because it's not one size fits all. Right. I, I totally agree and understand that it isn't one size fits all. And a lot of leadership is described in bumper stickers, sayings, and I don't think that's realistic. I think it's situationally dependent, and you have to be self-aware and aware of your circumstances to adjust. That's well said. You're training the next generation, or helping to train them, federal leaders through AU's School of Public Affairs. How, How do we encourage, how do you encourage young people to answer the call of federal service? You know, I'm so lucky at AU. We, we draw in, right, students who are primed for this um, and who are passionate when they walk in our doors. Even with that population, you know, there, there are headwinds, right? USA Jobs, right? Just even getting educated, these pieces. So, so helping with that is a whole set of work. I'm also really passionate about, as you point out, reaching out to a diversity of folks who haven't even thought about these careers as careers. I had a conversation with a young woman the other day, and she was talking about law school. It's, I'm, I'm fully supportive of law school, and I said, have you ever thought about a career in, in federal service? And she said, uh, isn't that for old people? <laughs> I said, uh, <laughs> um, okay. So, you know, I mean, there's an education to do, right? Clearly, she's never seen the softball leagues, you know, down on the mall or kickball or any of the fun we all have in town, where we certainly did when we were younger. But I, I really try, again, podcasts like this and other venues to put myself out there and really talk about what it's like, the opportunities I had at the FBI to be in the middle of the mission space and to explain that the federal government needs all kinds of skills, right, and diversity of thought, right, and diversity of people. So so there's that sort of working with the group that's primed for us, and we need to help them get over those barriers, get in and then stay and stay um, engaged and passionate and then there's reaching those new audiences. And there's a lot of work both places, but it's a lot of fun to work with young folks who are passionate about it. So I'm really lucky in my current job. And career civil service is a great path if somebody wants to take it. Our board is 100% SES level career civil servants. They are all dedicated. They have a real passion for what they're doing. They could go work anywhere, but they choose federal service. And there's no place, I always tell young folks who ask me about it, there's no place you're going to get the level of responsibility quickly as you do in federal service, right? And, and yes, yeah, sometimes things move slow. It's supposed to move slow, right? We talk about the reasons for that, too. But there's, there's really no other industry, maybe some startups you might get this experience, but really where you can be in the middle of mission space, whether you're passionate about the environment or national security or health care, you know, public health, and you're going to get in there quickly, um, and you're going to get in the mix and get exposure, experience, and opportunity for impact that's really unlike any other career. Perfect. Well, thank you, Sasha, and thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Shane Canfield, and this has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. Talk to you next time. Reconnect with a carpool or vanpool. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others that live and work near or at the same place as you. Prefer taking the bus or train? There's never been a better time to reconnect with transit. Plus, you have the added comfort of knowing Guaranteed Ride Home is there for any unexpected emergency for free. For more options, visit commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. Some restrictions apply. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar 
or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy Five or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.